Hear the word of the Lord. From the book of Jeremiah, chapter 33, verses 14 through 16, and 1 Thessalonians, chapter 3, verses 9 through 13. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill the promise I made to the house of Israel and the house of Judah. In those days and at this time, I will cause a righteous branch to spring up for David, and he shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In those days, Judah will be saved, and Jerusalem will dwell securely. And this is the name by which it will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you? For all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God. As we pray most earnestly night and day that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all, as we do for you, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. This is the word of the Lord. Today, this Sunday marks the first Sunday in Advent, as you can tell with all the poinsettias and the Advent wreath that's behind us. And so this season gives us the opportunity to pause what we've been doing and going through our series uh, through the Gospel of Mark and, and take a break from that and sit in the Revised Common Lectionary is what we're doing this year and, and go through, um, celebrate the season together. And the Revised Common Lectionary, it's a resources uh, that, that churches from all denominations use to kind of mark the church calendar um, through the various seasons. And so one of the neat things about the Advent season is not only are there churches all across the world that are participating in the season of Advent alongside of us, there are many churches that are preaching through the same passages that we are today. So there's a very uh, special bond, there's a, a, a unity among the church in this season where we get to see that God's doing more than just what he's doing right here in the Quad Cities, that he's really doing a global work. Um, and so that's one of the reasons why I like this season um, of Advent. And I realize some of you might be unfamiliar with Advent, um, it's not a word that gets used a lot just in the common lingo, um, but in the church it, it does. This is the season of the year. And so I want to take a little bit of time um, very quickly to, to bring you up to speed on what the season of Advent is, what it means, so you can grasp the significance um, of the season. The word Advent means coming or arrival, which makes sense because Advent happens in the four weeks leading up to Christmas, which of course is the day that marks Jesus' first arrival here on earth. While Advent does indeed give us the ability to look back to the past and see Jesus coming, it also gives us the ability to look to the future and see that when Jesus will come again and bring with him the kingdom of God and its fullness and its, and its completeness. So Advent helps us to see that we live in a time between the fulfilled promise of Christ's first coming and the yet-to-be-fulfilled promises of a second coming. We call this the, the, the all kind of the position of time that we sit in right now, where Christ has already come, he's already fulfilled, or at least started bringing the kingdom of God with him, but it has not yet been completely fulfilled. It is not here in its entirety. And that kingdom that Jesus will bring with him is a kingdom of righteousness, of peace, security, joy, of flourishing, all those perfect things that we desire. And one day it will be completely in its entirety, but now we start to see little glimpses of it peek through the darkness. Advent also allows us time to see how Jesus has fulfilled all the ancient promises 
God has made about a Messiah who would come and save his people, while saying that there are still promises in the process of being fulfilled right now. So we say Jesus did indeed come, but he told us that he would come again. So this season we look back, again, we look back to when Jesus introduced the kingdom, and yet we long for the future when the kingdom will be here in its fullness. And this kingdom is something that we all long for. It's this place where everything is perfect, where people from all different backgrounds get together in unity and peace, a place where there's always enough, a place where sickness and sorrow is no more. We all desire a place like this deep in our hearts, and the Bible actually validates these longings. It gives us hope for the day when all of these longings will be fulfilled. Now, when the Bible talks about hope, it's not this wishy-washy, sort of wishful thinking type of hope uh, like I have for my Oakland Raiders winning today. It's a real, secure, and powerful hope. It's a hope that has the ability to look to the future, be so secure, be so certain of it, that it actually reaches back and changes the present. Now, over the next four weeks as we get closer to, to Christmas, you're going to be bombarded with all kinds of messages that tell you that you need the latest clothes, the latest technology, your kids need the best toys, all of it. And, and, and in that message, it's going to subtly hint to the fact that these things will make your life better, that if you have these, life will improve, that sort of the new kingdom will come with it sort of a thing. But this isn't true. We don't need, in this season, we don't need more gifts. We don't need more holiday parties. We don't need more Christmas spirit. What we need and what everyone else that we know needs is more Christian hope. Why? It's because Christian hope is the only thing that can sustain us through tough times that we face in this life. And it's the only thing that guarantees us that one day it will all be better. Now, as we move through our, our two passages this morning, you're going to see that our longings, our longings deep in our heart point us towards something better. And that hope assures us that, some, that something better will one day become a reality, and that our hope for the future has the power to change our current reality. So before we jump into our passage, we need a little bit of context. This is Jeremiah 33 passage to understand what's God, what God's promising to his people. At this point, the kingdom of, of Israel, these are God's people that, from the line of Abraham that he's led to this, this place. They've been divided into two different kingdoms due to poor leadership from Israel's king. So now there's a northern kingdom called Israel and a southern kingdom called Judah. Now many years before Jeremiah shares the words here from Jeremiah 33, the northern kingdom, um, kingdom of Israel has been taken captive by the Assyrians, and then they're dispersed throughout the entire Middle East, and, and eventually these people become forgotten. Their, their national identity dissolves with time, and they become known as the Ten Lost Tribes of Israel. The southern kingdom, however, Judah, has held their ground for a little bit longer, for about 130 or so years longer than the northern kingdom. But as Jeremiah is writing this passage, as he's sharing this word from the Lord to God's people, they are in the midst of being taken captive as well by the Babylonians. And eventually, 
They'll be stripped of their land, which God gave and had given them, moved to foreign places. Their national and religious identity would become compromised, and they'd be left in a vulnerable position experiencing turmoil and uncertainty for their future. Now, if we were to think of God's people in terms of a tree, they would be, they would be a big ancient oak tree, right? Huge tree that for many years flourished and grew, provided shelter for many, until one day that tree was chopped down, split into two, and then hacked into pieces to be used as mulch. So now, all that remains of the people of God, the people of Israel, is a stump. It's a stump of what was. And as you know, when you cut down a tree, down to its stump, it doesn't just pop back. It doesn't grow back. It's pretty much as good as dead. And that basically sums up where God's people are at right now. And it's in this time, in the midst of their crisis, when God's people receive these words from the prophet Jeremiah. So if you take a look at verse 14, he says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill the promise I made to the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Now, the promise that God's talking about here has been mentioned a few other times in Jeremiah's writing, verse, uh, chapters 20, uh, 20 and, uh, 23 and 29. And basically, what, what God is promising his people in the midst of their exile and the uncertainty is that one day he will bring his people back to their homeland and he will keep them secure through a, the wise ruling of a king who will execute justice and righteousness. Now, this is everything that God's people are hoping for here. They're longing for that. You can f- hear the aches and pains of, the, of them as they're in exile. They're unsure of their future. Um, they feel really uncomfortable being in a new culture, not their own. And so they're really longing to be home, to be in the land that God promised to Abraham. These people really wanted a king who would be out for their best interest, who would rule wisely and lead them to be a, a flourishing nation. And they wanted to know that they would be secure, right? They wanted to know that there would be a day when there's no more captivity, that there's no more exile for them. And so this is what God's people were longing for deep in their hearts. Now, although the manifestation of these things look different for us, we are still longing for these same things today. We still share these same longings for home and and security and for, for flourishing, Dr. Chip Dodd in his book, The Voice of the Heart, says that longings are the heart's deep emotional and spiritual cravings for justice, rest, peace, safety, and home that yearn for fulfillment. This is part of being human, that we have these feelings, that we long for these things. And what he's saying is that we've been hardwired to desire these things, and we're not satisfied until these longings have been met. But the thing is, as we yearn for these longings to be met, as we long for justice and security and all these things, the more we long for them, the more we realize we don't have them right now. As we long for justice, it's easier for us to see the injustice that surrounds us in our country. As we long for health and fullness of life, we cannot help but to think of the children, thousands of children who are fighting for their lives in hospitals right now. In the midst of terrorist terrorist threats, we long for peace and safety. 
In the midst of crazy family schedules, we long for rest. In the midst of racial inequality, we long for justice. In the midst of crisis, we long for security. These are, this is part of being human, these longings. And these longings, they allow us to be honest about our current situations by saying that these things, the way life is right now, isn't great. We can be honest about it. But at the same time, these longings offer us the ability to desire something better. There's something in us that knows that there's something better out there for us. Just like those people who were in exile thousands of years ago, we too have longings for a better life. And as I've been thinking on this passage this week and and processing through it, one thing that I've been blown away uh, is by God's response to the longings of his people. God doesn't just say, you guys need to come to grips with reality. This is the way things are. He doesn't say, you guys got yourselves into the mess. You need to deal with it. God sees our longings. He hears our longings, and he validates them. And he does this by promising that what we are longing for will one day become a reality. This is what God is doing to the people back in Jeremiah's day in verse 15. He's validating their good and true longings by promising that those longings will one day become a reality. And God goes on to tell them how he's going to make that happen in verse 15. He says, in those days and at that time, I will cause a righteous branch to spring up from David, for David, and he shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. And in those days, Judah will be saved, and Jerusalem will dwell securely, and this is the name by which it will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. God is promising his people that what they are longing for will one day become true. And God hasn't stopped doing this, even to this day. He continues to validate the longings that we have for a better life, for a better future. He says to us, you're right. You were built for something better. You were built to live a fuller, more robust life. And so he promises us a world where our good and true longings will one day be fulfilled. And he does this through many places in scripture, but he does this specifically in Revelation 21 where he says this, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. This is the promise that God makes to his people. These, these longings that we have for perfection, for the world without suffering, without pain, without fear, without anxiety, God makes this promise that one day that, that will become our reality. So he validates his, our longings through his promises. But I'm afraid many of us have become accustomed to promises being broken, which makes us skeptical of any promise. We've we've seen marriage vows broken, or maybe our parents have time and time again failed to to meet their promises, to, to fulfill those promises, or whatever it is. But know this, that the God of the Bible 
When he makes us promises, he never fails to follow through. All throughout scripture, God has a perfect track record of keeping his promises. In fact, his promises are so certain that when he makes them, they're almost as good as accomplished. That's how true his word is to us. And so when God promises people that a righteous branch will shoot up from the stump of David, from from David, for David, God delivers on that promise. For the people at this time, there would be bits and pieces of this promise that would become a reality. Eventually, they'd be able to move back to Jerusalem and go back to their homeland. But the ultimate fulfillment of this promise isn't fulfilled until almost 500 years later in the person and the work of Jesus. This righteous branch that God was speaking of that would shoot up out of the stump of Israel, that dead stump that was hopeless, not a a bright future for them, would be Jesus. That he would be the righteous king who would rule wisely. He would uphold justice and righteousness. That he would save God's people and lead them to security. And Jesus, throughout the rest of the narrative of scripture and through his life and death and resurrection, we see that Jesus accomplishes this by coming to earth as a man and living the perfect life that we were unable to live. This is what it means for Jesus to be righteous, 100% perfect. And while he was perfect, in order to save unrighteous people like you and me, he went to the cross to die in our place, to keep us from, from facing the condemnation for our sins. So not only does Jesus bring justice by taking the punishment of our sins, but Jesus also brings righteousness with us and gives us his righteousness, clothes us in grace-given righteousness. Now this is how Jesus executes justice and righteousness. This is the king that, that God was speaking of. And by doing this, all of those people who put their faith in Jesus are safe and secure. They're saved from sin and they're secure in Christ. So this is ultimately how Jesus fulfills the promises of Jeremiah 33, but this isn't the only promise that Jesus fulfills. In 2 Corinthians 1, verses, uh, chapter 1, in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20, it says that all of the promises of God find their yes in Jesus. So when God promises people something, we're able to have a sure and certain hope because we know it will be so because Jesus is the yes to all the promises of God. Our hope for the future isn't dependent upon the stars coming in line or the pieces falling in the right place. Our hope for the future is dependent upon Jesus and we have a certain hope because our hope is tethered to Jesus who in In him, all of the promises of God find their yes. This is why Christian hope is so powerful. It's because Christian hope ultimately rests upon Jesus. And because it rests upon Jesus, we can be certain of our future because he is already at work bringing about these promises. That Jesus has come and fulfilled the promises in his first arrival and there are promises that Jesus has made that he will come again and and those promises are being worked out right now. This hope, this hope that Christians have for the future isn't a someday, maybe, perhaps this will happen so we'll just sit and wait and see how things go sort of approach Christian hope 
is so powerful that the hope of the future reaches back into our present and changes the way that we live right now. This is what Paul is getting at when he is speaking to the Thessalonians here in chapter 3, where he says, May the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all, as we do for you, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all the saints. What Paul is saying here is that one day Jesus will come again and all of the good and true longings in our heart will be fulfilled. Our desires for justice, for rest, for peace, for security and safety and for home that we all yearn for will be fulfilled as our hearts are established, blameless in holiness. And he says because this is true, because Jesus is going to make this happen, because it's a sure thing, you are to increase and abound in love for one another and for all. This means that as we hope in Jesus, we are to partner with him in the process of making this world more like the world that we desire. We are to be promoters and propagators of justice, of rest, for peace and for security as we share the hope for the day when Jesus will make all things right. Now this may take a few different forms to become people who propagate, who promote this sort of, this hope. For some of us, this might mean in this season, we we clear out our our family schedule to rest, to to reclaim that family time as a restful time to to be worshiping God and, and, and learning together. Perhaps it's going out of your way to to bless your crotchety neighbor and, and offer your neighborhood some peace. Maybe God is calling you to partner with many of the organizations in our city that, that promote and help kids find a safe place to stay. All right, maybe it's, you need to take a more vocal role in standing up for justice in, in the small things and in the big things. But whatever it looks like, for your present to be shaped by your future hope. I hope, I pray, that your family would step into that this season. Not because the future is riding on your shoulders, but because Jesus already is at work bringing about this future. And whenever we doubt, whenever we're unsure of our future, Whenever we think things are are looking pretty hopeless, all we need to do is look back to Jesus on the cross and see him fulfilling the promises of God for us and know that he's at work now completing them. So this Advent season, our hope isn't in things. Our hope isn't in the spirit of Christmas. Our hope isn't in our family get-togethers and all the food that we might share together. This Advent season, the hope that we hold on to is the hope of Jesus, that he has come and that he will come again and that day all things will be set right. Our longings, our deep desires will become true. The things that we are hoping for will be here and now and we'll be able to enjoy them with our Savior forever. Let's pray. Father, thank you for being a God who, 
who validates our longings, who, who looks down on us in the midst of brokenness and suffering and pain and, and agrees that this is not the way things are supposed to be. And as we long for, for a better day, for, for things to be set right, for perfection, you validate those longings by making us a promise that one day those things will be set right. And we thank you, Lord, for the hope that you've given us in Jesus and knowing that the promises of God are finding their yes in him, that in his first coming there have been promises fulfilled, and in his second coming those promises will be fulfilled to an even greater extent. And so, Lord, we look forward to that day in hope. We pray that you would anchor us in hope this season, knowing that, that this world isn't as good as it gets. There's something better out there to be had. And Lord God, would you help us to find that in Jesus this season? And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.